0: When you don't sing in church, you hold in your emotions. When you hold in your emotions, they come out at the wrong time. When your emotions come out at the wrong time, bad things happen. When bad things happen, you're forced to get a face tattoo. Don't get a face tattoo. Sing during church. Amen, amen, amen. Sing to the Lord a new song. Don't get a face tattoo. So beware of those bikers out there. It can be kind of rough. We're in our last week in our series to Ezekiel. If you want to follow along, if you'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 40, we'll be spending time in verses 44 to 46 and um, talking about the completion, really, of Ezekiel's revelation for Israel. At this point in Ezekiel chapter 40, Israel has been in exile for 25 years, and Jerusalem has been in ruin for 14 years. They've been in this place now for quite a while. And we looked at chapter 37, where there's the prophecy of the dead men's bones, the valley full of dry bones, and God brings them back to life, and a prophecy to Israel that the dead nation of Israel would be restored. Chapters 38 and 39 show an end time battle that we don't have time to go into. Gog and Magog and the move on Israel, and I do believe that that's a battle that occurs before the battle of Armageddon or the Great Tribulation, but that's for another day, a great battle in 38 and 39. And then we come to chapter 40, and in chapter 40, God is giving the nation hope. Remember, 25 years in exile, 14 years the city has been in ruins. And in chapters 40 to 43, we hear about the prophecy of the temple being restored. In chapters 44 to 46, there's a restoration of worship in the temple. And in chapters 47 and 48, there's restoration of the land. So the end of Ezekiel brings to fullness God's prophecies and plans for the nation of Israel. But we're gonna focus on chapter 40 and those last few verses of God's promise to restore his temple. Why does that matter? because the temple symbolized the worship of the nation of Israel. It symbolized the presence and favor of God. And without the temple, there would be no real worship. There was no opportunity for the sacrifices. There was no fullness of God's presence. And so all of the return of that revolves around the restoration of the temple and God's end time plan for Israel. For us today, I do think there's an application that fits for us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there are times in our lives when our life gets in ruins. Sometimes your temple has been broken down. And this chapter, I think, gives us some keys that are essential, that are necessary for our temples to be rebuilt. We would call that revival. We would call it renewal. We would call it a new day of God's favor. And I don't know how you're wired, but I'd like a new day of God's favor every day. The blessings of the Lord are new every morning and I wanna walk in that place. So the emphasis in chapter 40 is the restored temple and the attitude necessary to enter into the promises of God. So listen to Ezekiel chapter 40. At the start of the chapter, there's some underlying principles that will help us understand what happens at the end of the chapter. How many are still with me? I got four of you. All right, hang on, the rest will join. In chapter 40, verse 3, Ezekiel says, he took me there. The hand of the Lord took him there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, a Christophany, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, son of man, Look with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you. For that is why you have been brought here. Tell the house of Israel everything you see. He took me there. I saw a man. Look with your eyes and hear with your ears. Pay attention to everything I will show you. And then you go into the chapter and everything's being measured. Two things that I think underline living in a place where God's blessing will come. Number one is pay attention. Pay attention. You can't doze off or, or um, in a lackadaisical fashion respond to what God is speaking we should give all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to him. Our mind should be focused on what God is doing. Number one in your mind should be, what is God saying? What is God doing? I'm giving full attention to the word of God, to the moving of the spirit of God, to what God is doing in my life. And we haphazardly deal with our faith as though it's something that is unnecessary. You need to pay attention. <laughs> You're looking at me like, how long is this going to go on? It requires our focus. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Serve him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pay attention. And then second, pay attention to the details. Details matter to God. Details matter to God. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, see that you make them, everything they were doing for the temple, according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And they weren't to deviate from that because every piece of that had meaning, every piece of that had a message, and they didn't have the freedom to change it. So I would say to the American church, it's time for the church to rise up and pay attention and return to the details and re-implement worship the way God intended. Tended it to be, not driven by the values of this world system, but driven by the precepts that are given us in the word of God, and every little bit of his revelation should matter to the people of God. Hallelujah. So there are three principles. Are, are you with me at all this morning? There are three principles that show up after all this measuring, that I want us to get, and I'm also gonna give you here a little lesson in hermeneutics, is that okay? And I might get a little bit tedious, but it's kind of fun for me, and uh, that's what it's all about, right? As long as I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm joking, that was called sarcasm. Elbow your neighbor and said he was, he was joking. Number one, if we want the presence of God in the house of God, if we want the temple to be restored, rebuilt, and worship vital and vigorous number one you need to provide housing for the singers you need to house the singers now what's interesting here is i'm going to read to you from the new king james and then i'm going to read to you from the new international version and how have you promised to not deconstruct your faith after i'm done you'll hang in there this will help you if you follow what i'm saying Ezekiel 40, (coughs) verse 44. Outside the inner gate were the chambers for the singers in the inner court, one facing south at the side of the northern gateway and the other facing north at the side of the southern gateway. So outside the inner gate were the chambers for the singers in the inner court. In the NIV, outside the inner court, within the inner court, there were two rooms, one at the side of the north gate facing south, and the other at the side of the south gate facing north. What's the difference? There are no singers in the NIV. The singers are eliminated. Why is that? Have you ever read, and maybe following along, when the version that I read from says something different than the version you're reading? I just want you to know the one that I'm reading from is accurate, so get yours in line. Now, why does that happen? How many have ever wondered why that happens? Well, nobody. All right, let's not waste the time. Let me explain to you why that happens. I believe that the word of God is inspired. No mistakes, God breathed. So what does that mean? It means that what we would call the autographs, are inspired by God. What are the autographs? It's not your signature. It's the original giving of the Old Testament scriptures and the original giving of the New Testament scriptures. And we don't have those in a single document. So bibliology, the the science of understanding Scripture and gathering the text, means that we rely on a number of copies from the scribes of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. You say, well, that's kind of risky. No, you have to understand, they took great care. They took great diligence to make sure that they copied exactly. They had ceremonial washings before they ever wrote the name of God, and they wouldn't even write the name of God. They used the initials and... And, and, and Yahweh with Adonai gives us, um, or Lord gives us the word Jehovah that we use, that's how carefully they handled those. So we rely on the autographs, the original copies of the text that we can find. But over time, more copies of the text are found And some of them have some differences from the earlier ones that were found. And that could be that someone else copied them that weren't as diligent, or there are pieces that are missing. And so here's what you're told by the people that gather the scriptures. The ones that are most pristine and in the best condition are the most accurate. Well, let's ponder that for a moment. I have a library And if you see a book that is dog-eared and falling apart, pages are falling out, and you have one that is pristine, which one do I use the most? The dog-eared one. And which one might be more difficult to follow through with some of my notes and smudges? It's gonna be that one, and so it is a challenge But when you question the scriptures, I have to tell you that there are more verifications of the text as we have it than there are for the works of Shakespeare, and nobody doubts those. So I'm not questioning the integrity of the text, but there's a whole science behind it, all right? How many are with me so far? Number two, translations and language change. And there are two kinds of translations. There's the literal translation and what's called the dynamic equivalent. And so when you read one of the translations of Scripture, there are those that do their best to translate literally from the Old Testament text or New Testament, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and then there are others that try to give the sense. Which one is gonna be more accurate? I'm going with the literal one. Now, the problem then is You have to translate from one language to another. How many of you speak more than one language? Hold up your hands. We've got one, two, three, four. Anybody speak pig Latin? Anybody speak Klingon? If you speak more than one language, and uh, anybody speak Spanish? Got one here, a little bit here. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to illustrate what I've been told about Spanish going to English and if I'm wrong correct me afterwards. <laughs> that the language isn't the same when you go from one language to another. So to illustrate it I've been told that in Spanish you cannot say I am hungry. That the Spanish language literally is I have hunger. And in English we say I am hungry. So the difference is, in Spanish, hunger is a temporary state of being. In English, hunger is a way of living. It's an identity. I am hungry is different than I have hunger. Now, when you say both of those, I am hungry and I have hunger, you know what that means, but each of those allows you to shift it a little bit in its meaning, like I just did in the interpretation of that short phrase. And so that happens with the translations. And can I give you one more dirty little secret about translations? We say the newer ones are the best. Here's the facts. In order to get a copyright, you have to show substantial change from the previous copyrighted versions. So after all these years, when the newer translations have to show substantive change, do you think the newer ones or the older ones have the best likelihood of being accurate? The correct answer is the older ones. That's why I read out of several translations to try to get the sense. What is it saying? And then, I don't speak Hebrew. It's not spoken today like it was written. Greek is not spoken the way it was written, which is a safety net for us because we we can parse those terms and words and try to come to an accurate meaning. And I'm all about that, but it is a challenge. So don't just say, well, which one is right? Here's what I like to do. I love it when I find two translations that aren't in agreement. Because if I'll dig into that a bit, I've always found a gem of truth that's deeper than I would have found otherwise. Okay? How many are done with the hermeneutics lesson? So, NIV does include singers, King James, New King James, includes singers. So why do the newer ones eliminate the singers? I am going somewhere. This isn't just a class, though I will give you two credits at the Iowa School of Ministry for this (laughs) session. Why does that, why would they eliminate those? So I had to dig a while. And when you read the Hebrew construction, it's talking about rooms, rooms for the singers, rooms for the priests. And because they couldn't make it make sense which rooms, which ones lived in, they decided to simply eliminate the singers and just make it more simple. And I, 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 I do (laughs) greatly resent that. Do the hard work of reconciling it, just don't kick it out. And I can harmonize it. I've spent enough work on it this week. I don't need, uh, and you don't need to hear it except to say I'm absolutely convinced that God intended in the temple for there to be housing for the priests who guarded the altar, for the priests who guarded the temple, and for the priests who led in singing, that those three groups were to be present in the temple and housed in the temple. And so I'm saying to the translators, don't take the singers away. And I'm saying to the church today, if the devil can steal your joy, if he can steal your victory, he'll do it by taking away your song. Christians and Pentecostals are people of music. We're people of the song. We're people of singing. And singing becomes vital to the presence of God. And while that first part of the video was a joke, hopefully you got that was a joke, and don't come after me, but I'm gonna tell you, write it down. You heard it this morning. If you sit there and don't sing, you will never experience the presence of God in the way that you will experience him when you start to sing. Sing, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing the glories of God. There is something that happens when the people of God sing. That doesn't mean you have to sing loud. There's remedial singing in the room uh, across M1. No, I'm kidding about that. Because it doesn't say you have to sing well. It says you have to sing joyfully. Sing to the Lord. Something has to happen. When singing becomes happenstance, when it's something we skip over. Now, I get it. I get it. There are certain styles some people like, certain styles that some people don't like. And I'll tell you, I'm just gonna be honest, I didn't understand rap music. It's It's like... It's like a spiritual auction going on there. And I don't know what I just bought. I just raised my hand and I bought a pair of Spurs. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, That's ridiculous until my son started doing Christian rap and then all of a sudden it's pretty good. (laughs) Are you hearing what I'm saying? I I believe in music. Heaven will be filled with Southern gospel quartet music. So the rest of you better get over yourself (laughs) and get ready for it. No, I think there'll be all kinds of singing, all kinds of music, and I'm not talking about style. But I'll tell you something that um, bothers me. I haven't heard anyone say it to me here, um, and I read a pastor's response. People will say, well, I missed the singing, but I got here for the important part. Do you know what you just said? What is singing about? Singing is the important part because that's worshiping God. Preaching is to feed us. So what you're saying is, it's more important that I get what I need than I give God what he deserves. It's all important. It is all important. Sing, sing. Don't take the singers away. There'll be no revival. In fact, if you watch every move of God, out of those profound moves of God came a new wave of music, a new wave of songs, a new wave of rejoicing. And I read this and I said in my office, don't take away the singers. Keep them in the house of God because without that, we will never have revival." Who were the singers? Levites of a particular family. Those of Heman, Asaph, and Merari. Genealogy is t- traced back to 1 Chronicles 6.31. I could talk. So I looked up the word. That word is in there. That Hebrew word is in there. I don't know how they take it out. It's in, it's in there. So I thought, what does this word mean? Maybe it means something else. So here's what the word means. Singers sing, sang, sung, singing, Song leader and sung. I think it means to sing. I think that's what it means. Don't take it away. Singers are essential for spiritual restoration. We sing to the Lord and to the nations and to each other. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim salvation day after day. Let the word of Christ in Colossians dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Songs help us praise. Songs help us pray. Songs help us proclaim. Don't let anyone diminish or devalue or take away the singers. And I will tell you over the years, I've seen a profound move of God at an altar call after a message, but I've also seen a profound move of God with singing. So I'm gonna give you one illustration from when I was in Bible college. Then we'll move on. Any of you, (laughs) Pastor Nathan will remember these. You ever remember Sing Spirations? Anybody has a song, come up and sing. Do you know why we don't do that? If you've ever been to one, you know why we don't do that. (laughs) Not everybody recognizes their giftings and not everybody recognizes what are not their giftings. (laughs) So people are singing and we're worshiping and then this guy from skinny weed of a guy from Texas walks up and I'm telling you He couldn't carry a tune, Pastor Tim, if you welded it to him. It was horrific. And he's singing, and it sounded like three cats out in the yard trying to kill each other. It was the worst thing I've ever heard. It was horrific. But while he sang, he started to worship, and tears ran down his face. And the spirit of God began to move. And that turned into a several hour prayer meeting of the presence of God. We did never ask him to sing again. (laughs) But we were hungry for the presence of God. I'm telling you. There is something that happens. And if you want to see God move in the house of God, then get the singers singing. Everybody singing with joy and praise and magnifying him, and you'll see the presence of God in the house. I'm trying to establish this morning that the rebuilding of your temple begins with reclaiming the song that God has put in your heart. And sing it to his name and glorify him. How's the singers? Get a room for them. Don't kick them out of the house. Number two. What else do we need? We need those that are guardians of the temple. In verse 45, he said to me, the room facing the south is for the priests who guard the temple. It's the place where worship happens. It represents the human activity in exalting our God. And we are the temple, but we're to guard then the place where we gather. And don't allow the fact that you're the temple of God diminish the fact that you're part of the corporate body of Christ that gathers to worship. We together are the temple. There's a corporate dynamic to our faith. We gather together corporately to worship God. Do you know that when Jesus went into the temple and the book of isaiah was given to him to read it says he went to the temple as his custom was in the book of acts when the uh Uh, man was healed, they were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. Read the end of Acts chapter two and what will you discover? You'll discover in Acts chapter two that they went to the temple every Sabbath and starve the church included going to the temple every Sabbath and meeting together daily and house to house and as it developed and formed and changed it shifted to Corinthians to the first day of the week but you will not find anywhere that they didn't gather together. The temple needs to be guarded. Worship needs to be guarded. They're called temple warriors, temple guards. They gathered together to protect the temple, to guard, to keep, To preserve, to watch is primarily a military term that means to guard and is derived from a word that refers to military guard duty. So the priests, the keepers in charge of the house that observe the keeping of it, to observe the laws, to observe the ordinances, careful that the worship of God be maintained and preserved, they were there to make sure that worship happened and that it happened the right way. And would to God in this generation we'd have some temple guards rise up. Because if you look, I'm not trying to meddle with you this morning. I'm just gonna get this off my heart and you can do with it whatever you want. Hallelujah. But if you watch the lives of most believers, they're not guarding the temple anymore. Coming to the temple is like deciding to go to the grocery store pop in every now and then. It's, well, I pray and I read my Bible, but gathering together is not a priority to me. Households that coming to church is not a priority. Letting children decide if they wanna go to church or not. It's just become a secondary issue and that we will never shape the world around us and walk in revival until the gathering of the saints is guarded by the people of God. That's guarded in two ways. It needs to be guarded that it happens it needs to be a value. Do you know that statistics today tell us that the most committed Christians average going to church twice a month. When did they do it in the in the New Testament? On the first day of every week they gather together. Now, I know most of you do that. I just want to affirm you in that. I want to affirm you that corporate worship matters, that gathering together matters. And when Hebrews writes about the end of the age, the warning to us is as we come closer to the return of the Lord, we need to gather together um, more frequently, more committed to it, guarding it more than we ever have, making sure that we meet together together and not withdraw from that. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to ask you, please don't respond, just stay exactly like you are right now. How important is church to you? How important is it to you? Well... come when we can you're not a guardian you're not going to help us bring revival to our city we hope you make it in it's not a salvation issue but the gathering together the gathering together on a weekly basis Engaging with one another. Where are the guardians? Where are the people who are willing to stand up and say, gathering together with the saints is more important than the social demands that are being placed on our kids? I'm not trying to upset you. Yeah. Next week, there'll be 12 people here. I get it. I understand. Well, I am coming to listen to that. I'm just telling you that when they reestablished it, the three groups that were established were the singers and the guardians of the temple. It's gotta be important. It's gotta matter. It's gotta be a priority. It's gotta be the reason that our faith is solid and strong, that we gather together to worship him together. Where are the guardians today? Who's guarding? And secondly, that it happens and that it's done right. I have been chewed out, beat up, criticized. Anybody feel sorry or do I need a few more adjectives? (laughs) Because I feel like what happens on the platform and in the pulpit needs to be done right. I objected once to denominational training of our next-gen leaders because they were taught that you're born a homosexual. They're born that way and I objected to that and you'd have thought I cursed at Jesus. Came after me and you could ask my wife, the conversations that came out of that, the way I was attacked, and I'm just gonna tell you, I don't care. If I have found a place to stand that I believe scripture stands, you can say whatever you want, but to the best of my ability, to the best of my authority, what happens here will honor the word of God, will honor the people of God, will be built on the truth of God, and you can attack me and criticize me and ridicule me and mock me, but I'll get up tomorrow morning saying the same thing because it's built on the word of God. Now my Wednesday night teaching many of you were very very affirming and there were others that weren't affirming at all. There were people who came after me and said some things as I go ahead but I'm going to pull my sword and my sword is not based on my opinion or based on cultural standards it's based on thus saith the Lord this is what the word of God declares and we at Berean are going to guard the temple and not let foolish jesting and stupid conduct enter into what we do in this house hallelujah it matters it matters that it happens and it matters that it's done right Pastor Nathan will tell you, there have been times, not very many, but a few times where we've sat down and had a conversation about lyrics in a song. What do they mean? What do they say? Are those biblically sound? And we're going to honor it with how we sing, with what is preached, with what we teach, with what we communicate. We're going to have the gospel proclaimed by the word of God. That doesn't make me special. It means we're living in a generation where nobody's guarding the temple anymore. They're not guarding its performance. They're not guarding that it happens, and they're not guarding what happens in it. It matters. Hallelujah. It matters. How's the singers? Guard the temple. And you're gonna hear me proclaim it and challenge it I get it. There are some days that you may not be able to come to the house of God. If you're coughing and vomiting and running a fever, we don't want you here. (laughs) We'll pray that God will send his word and heal you. And that's why we provide an online source. You can still join with us digitally. Hallelujah. Well, this has been fun, hasn't it, folks? Third, guard the altar. Guard the altar. There was a line drawn. There was a line drawn that there were people who were set aside to sing. There were people who were set aside to guard the temple. And then there was an order of priests that were set aside to guard the altar. What happens at the altar matters. In fact, why have we gathered together? So that God can speak to us. The temple altar was a place of a variety of sacrifices. It was a place where God met with man, and man met with God. It was a place that you could say heaven came near. And those who conducted the sacrifice were sons of Zadok. They descended from the high priest and served the people, but whose chief job, the Bible tells us, was to come near to the Lord and minister to him. And so God honors and hovers over the altar experience, the place where men and women meet with God. And I'm telling you, why do we meet on Sunday? It's not to check the box of our religious duty it's not to say this is how many have come this week and here's our growth it's not to count the offerings you know why we gather because somebody some man woman boy or girl is going to need jesus to do something in their life and it may be their last opportunity and we will not allow anything to get in the way of people experiencing god that's why we gather not to not to force it not to play with it but to honor the altar now granted the altar can happen in a lot of different places where men meet with god we've been praying for new life center why do we why oh why i don't know why why are we still working with that place the city is turned on us now with fines and reports and it's like one step forward and and two steps back but i'm going to tell you why I'm convinced that God wants a lighthouse in the Drake neighborhood. So we had another problem. We had to put in a water main, and I appreciate the help we got with that, a new water main, so we could cut off the old port, part of the building, and you couldn't remove the city's water main, so they had to come out and remove their own the meter, had to get their own meter and cap it, and all that goes with that, and had to set up when they could come and do that. And it was just another thing to do, just another thing to do. So two guys came out and I, I, I won't say that. Two guys came out and they didn't have the right tools that they needed to do their job. So one of them left. Pastor Lewis is there. He's talking to the other one and they have conversation going on and he's asking about the church and something was said about forgiveness and this worker standing there with Lewis, said, how do you get forgiveness with God? And he shared with him the plan of salvation and led him to Jesus, and that individual asked Jesus into his heart. And I said, God, we all needed that. you know what I saw, Pastor Tim? I saw the first sign of life. I saw the first blade of grass break through the burnt over dead field. And I'm telling you, a day is coming that it won't be one blade of grass. It'll be a field ready for the harvest. As men and women are brought to Jesus, we're not there to win a debate. We're not there to win an economic uh, attack or, or plan or to show that we can pull something from the dead we're there so that men women boys and girls can meet god in an altar moment guard the altar is what needs to happen the altar it can happen during worship when you come to the front it can happen at the end of a message it can happen while the message is being preached that god will speak to you we talk about the cleansing of the temple and it's one of my favorite stories You can't have a sissy Jesus and have him cleanse the temple. That was extra. You don't have to pay for that one. That was just a freebie. But watch what happens in Matthew. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you're making a den of thieves. What happened when Jesus drove them out? I know you can build the whole thing that he drove them out to defend the honor of the temple and that's partially true. He drove them out to defend the honor of the Father and that's partially true. But he drove them out to defend the temple and the honor of the Father because God is glorified when the sick and the lame and the broken come in they couldn't come in because something of man's work got between them and the altar and Jesus came in and kicked it all out of the way and the scripture tells us that when he did the blind and the lame came to him at the temple do you know that was always the will of God come on that was always the will of God that was always the plan of God that where God put his name and established a place of worship that miracles. Would happen, that lives would be changed, that people would be set free. And when Jesus kicked them out, they knew we've got man made rules out of the way, we've got man made methods out of the way. And the broken came in, and Jesus healed every one of them. He healed every one of them. We have to give people an opportunity to experience the power of God. It's why we're here. We have to guard the altar. We have to guard the altar. What will restore the temple in our day, Pastor Nathan? What will restore the temple in our day? House the singers, guard the temple, guard the altar. And a day will come that the glory cloud will fill the house of God and will lay prostrate before him in his presence. What about you and your temple? Is it broken? Is it in disrepair? Is it in ruins? Start to sing again. Start to sing again. Re-emphasize the temple and come back to the altar. And your temple will be restored by the power of a loving God. Let's stand together. like every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, no one looking around. We've talked about your temple, the place where God dwells. And maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I feel like my temple is in ruins. And I'm going to make a decision today to reclaim my song, to guard the temple and the altar and believe for God to fill this house again. I just want to be able to pray for you with no one looking around. You're in that place. You feel like your temple is broken down. And you need it to be rebuilt would you just lift your hand up thank you lift your hand up yes thank you yes thank you yes thank you yes yes the balcony yes i see your hands in the balcony thank you yes yes thank you lord jesus you see the hands that are raised and in our honesty we admit to you that we're not in the place that we want to be we've lived too long with our temple in ruins and we're asking that you will rebuild it in our lives, that you will come by and restore your presence, that you will be alive and powerful and vibrant in this house, in our house. Again, we're trusting you for that. We're trusting you for that. Lord, I ask that by the breath of God, your spirit would move across this place, that you would give a refreshing and a renewing in the name of Jesus, in the lives of people in this place today. And while we sing the song again, I want you to lift your hands, everyone in the house, and let's worship him. Let's sing the song again. Let's open our hearts to his presence. Let's believe God to do something in us today. We'll sing of your love. Over the
1: mountains and the sea, your river runs with the love for me. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free i'm happy to be in the truth lord and i will daily lift my hands for Your
0: preach this but I feel pressed by the spirit of God to declare over somebody's life this morning you've let the devil steal your song and if you'll start to sing again he will flee and the spirit of God will be present and you will be renewed and restored find somewhere to get alone just you and Jesus and sing to the lord again and as you sing the glory of god will fill his house hallelujah if you love jesus let me hear your hands this morning amen 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 god bless you greet someone shake their hand be a blessing to someone today